Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. You are tuned into Youth Talk with me, Bibi Aisha Lehe. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to all our listeners in South Africa and abroad. A very, very interesting, a very scary and a much needed topic, not only in South Africa, but around the world. So there's this terminology that is used and often people who are suffering from this mental condition are the first people to label others with this condition, yet they are suffering from it. It is called narcissistic behavior disorder. And like I always say, I strive to be a champion for mental health and a public speaker for mental health because as much as we invest in our health, if you have a problem with your heart, you will not think twice when your general practitioner suggests that you see a heart specialist. In fact, you would go to the most reputable one if you could afford it. But why do you compromise on your mental health? Because with any other ailment, you can see the wound or the pain or the ailment through the symptoms. You can put a Band-Aid, you can rub some medication, you can have other ways of mending or nurturing or caring for those challenges. But when it comes to mental health, you cannot put a Band-Aid. You cannot walk around with a crutch physically, literally. And we need to stop labeling people out of ignorance that if you are depressed, if you are anxious, if you are not feeling good constantly, then you are mad. Because the person that is mad and it's a mental case is a person who labels people out of ignorance. Mental health is important because if you do not have your sanity, you have absolutely nothing. And the sad reality is narcissistic behavior disorder is real. And today to tell us more about it is Fani Smuts, who is the hospital manager at Crescent Akiso Randberg in Johannesburg. It is a psychiatric hospital created by top psychiatrist with global recognition, Professor and Dr. Patrick McGraw. So to tell us more about narcissistic behavior disorder is my honored guest, Fani Smart, who always avails himself to teach me and all our listeners about mental health and how mental health, good mental health, is your real wealth. Good morning, Fani, and welcome once again to the airwaves of Radio Islam International. Good morning, and thank you very much for inviting me, and thanks very much for having me with you and your listeners. Always, always a pleasure, Fanny. Narcissistic behavior disorder. It's not a fancy word that just came about that people throw randomly on social media. It is a serious mental health condition. And the thing that we need to understand, that if we witness certain behavioral patterns in children, that could be assumed to be narcissistic behavior disorder. These are red flags and medical intervention is needed 
immediately. Because if it is left unattended to, you are going to be raising a psychopath. Can you please elaborate further? Um, yes, so narcissistic behavior um, disorder, um, as you have named it, is actually one of the diagnoses that fall within um, the second axis of the DSM-4, um, which we refer to as um, personality disorder. So um, narcissistic personality disorder is a, first of all, a personality disorder. It, um, it is a condition that requires a clinical diagnosis. It's also a very serious diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that is um, not necessarily commonly diagnosed um, formally as a clinical diagnosis, but in our society, often the term is used quite loosely in terms of describing a person's behavior. Um, and the, the, the characteristics of a narcissistic behavior or narcissistic personality disorder is quite comprehensive. Um, and I think we'll get into that in a little um, in a little while in terms of some of your other questions. But um, ultimately, what we need to look at when we're talking about a narcissistic personality disorder is a, a level of impairment that is caused um, as a result of this disorder that actually causes a significant change in the individual's behavior as well as a very um, pervasive type of behavior pattern that we are noticing, which we'll go into in a little bit more detail. Most definitely. Bunny, you know, as, as an educator for many, many years, as a former educator in a foundation phase um, environment for over 25 years, I obviously had the honor and privilege, and I would say privilege, to be a part of so many children's lives. And, you know, in, in, in public schools here in South Africa, we have 40 children minimum in a classroom. So you get to interact with 40 children and you spend lots of time with them. And it's easier for an educator who is self-aware to notice that a child not wanting to share, a child that is actually violent, a child that puts other people down constantly, a child that needs constant praise is not growing up in a healthy manner because a child as young as four, five, six doesn't know any better. This child is acting up in a certain manner that if not nipped in the bud is going to have serious, serious, serious social and interpersonal repercussions. Can you please elaborate further and maybe explain what are the red flags that educators and parents and caregivers should be on the lookout for? Remember, this is now out of, after observation for a while. It's not a one-soft mm. thing mm. of how we can identify um, certain characteristics that could, because remember, we can't diagnose if you're going to elaborate, but mm. could maybe tell us red flags. It's as near me. So um, they, we, we refer to it as narcissistic personality traits because, as you said, the, there should be a formal diagnosis. And also, it is generally clinically, um, as I was um, guided by our clinical team, um, it is generally clinically inappropriate to diagnose a, any um, type of personality disorder in which category the narcissistic um, personality disorder falls into um, before the age of 18. Um, however, the um, 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 young adolescents may sometimes present with what we refer to as narcissistic traits. 
And um, obviously in adults, we'll also see some of these traits. And they include things like a grandiose sense of self and a very mm-hmm. um, grandiose sense of self-importance. Um, they've got an exaggerated achievement. They often exaggerate their achievements and their skills. They mm-hmm. um, have a need to be const, uh, constantly and continually recognized as superior. There's often a lack of respect for others. There's also a lack of empathy towards the suffering of others. And um, there sometimes also is this ex- to be treated differently than everybody else. In other words, there's a set standard or a set rule or a set societal rule that applies within a community or a society or within a system as, as, as a school or a social um, event. And those individuals often tend to feel that they are more important than the rest and therefore they should be treated differently. So certain rules and certain guidelines shouldn't apply to them because they are superior to the general population. Mm. You know, another observation, um, you know, that, um, that I've made is certain children who display narcissistic behavior, um, they cannot accept when somebody achieve something. This child may be an academic or a sport, um, a child that excels in a particular area. And another child could maybe just achieve something little, little, and the child feels so good. And this narcissistic child or the child with his tendencies will ridicule it because they constantly like the limelight on them. And also, um, they are very sore losers in games. They will not share because they feel entitled. They will remind you that they are special. They will remind you of their rights, but have no accountability. And also, sadly, um, they enjoy incurring pain on other people. Uh, sorry, sorry, incurring, um, you know, giving of pain to other people and rejoicing it. I mean, there have been narcissistic behavior tendencies. Is also when a child takes joy in hurting animals, uh, beating pets, um, killing a bird, um, hunting, as, as young as a child is, a child t- taking a magnifying glass and putting it over insects and rejoicing to see this insect which God created burn. So they rejoice in seeing others' pain. And if somebody is, is, is going through any difficulty, maybe it could be a child who fell down, maybe it could be another uh, child in the classroom who lost a parent or something, the child is crying, the narcissistic child or the, the behavior of their child is absolutely no compassion or empathy. They, they show no, no empathy and they're not even apologetic for it. They show no remorse. And, and the child, which is sad, is innocent because children at this age can't even label emotions correctly because they are still learning um, about socially acceptable behavior. Mm. Can you elaborate further? Yeah, so so often um, the the spectrum of personality disorder is quite a wide uh, a widespread number of um, conditions, and often what 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 um, is prevalent is that there's sometimes a bit of an overlap between the different personality disorders, or the traits of that uh, of personality disorders. So um, in the specific space of personality disorders, you deal with the narcissistic personality, you deal with a um, borderline personality disorder. There is also um, 
uh, psychopathic behavior, but the, 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 they are often there's often elements of the one to the other invisible. So I think what you um, what you earlier described in terms of that sort of um, quite abnormal behavior in terms of a child of a specific age, in terms of deliberate harm to others and deliberate harm to other creatures, that falls within the spectrum of the personality disorders, and um, it's definitely something that a parent should be. Um, looking into. I mean, it may, as I said, it cannot be a fully-fledged personality disorder at a young age, as it needs to be formally diagnosed um, after the age of 18. But there can be emerging traits. And I think the important thing, as you mentioned, as an educator, you also observed the behavior of children. So we all know that children and young adolescents will do things that are a little bit odd and they'll do strange things and sometimes the community will think it's quite a funny thing and so forth. So we're not saying that every little strange thing a young adult or a young child does needs to warrant a emergency intervention. But I think um, um, the important thing is that if it's a pervasive action that happens um, continually and it increases, uh, the intensity and the frequency of that increases over time. It definitely is something that raises concern. And as, um, um, as caregivers, as parents, and as educators, they, um, any kind of behavior of a child that is um, socially unacceptable, that doesn't fit into the situation, that is perhaps um, situation in, inappropriate, and it continues, so it's pervasive in the presentation and it worsens over time, is something that should raise a red flag. Most definitely. I think another trait that stands out for me is where the child is the boss. The child is the head of the group. The child bullies other children. You know, very much like their teenage sorority, sort of, I am the... I'm the, I'm the queen bee or I'm the main man. That's normally, you know, you'll, you'll see that in, in, in high schools uh, and you, you'd wonder to yourself that somebody that needs to be bullying others and everybody follows what that person does, that means that person is actually a bully and has very low self-esteem. Because if you are a leader of a pack and you are so young and demanding control, then clearly this is a child that has lots of red flags that parents need to look at and investigate further. Finally, we will be continuing after the ad break to our beloved listeners. Please don't go away. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. You are back on to Youth Talk with me, Bibi Aisha Lehe. And this morning we're talking about are you raising a narcissistic child with my guest, Fani Smart, who is the hospital manager at Crescent Akiso in Randburg, which is a psychiatric hospital with branches all over South Africa. Fani, this is going to be a very difficult question for you to answer because like we said, we, we are just raising red, uh, red flags, but this diagnosis can only be done by a mature, experienced, qualified psychiatrist who specializes in this field and someone who obviously would work with a mature, experienced, qualified psychologist who has experience in this field. I think that's very important that we say that from the very beginning because you can't just go to any psychiatrist and or any psychologist. The two work hand in hand. But funny, what 
would cause a child to become narcissistic. Because this is another point that stands out, that a narcissistic child who is not diagnosed grows up into a narcissistic teenager and a narcissistic adult. They are master manipulators. They play the blame game. They play the victim game. They are not accountable for their actions. The entire world is to blame for their um, faults, for their lack of um, progressing in the world. They are constantly in debt because they want to love like the Joneses. In fact, they want to be better than the Joneses. They they want to compete with Elon Musk. And um, they have this, like you say, delusions of grandeur where, mm. you know, they, they would brag about things that they have uh, on social media and in any in any conversation as well. And yet they forget that people know them in real life. And also what they say is not actually how they really love. So it's this obsession with I am better, yet there's no concrete or substance to that statement. Mm. Yeah, you know, the, I think one of the problems that, that, uh, that we've seen, and I'm sure in communities this is also quite evident, is that um, because of how, the, how our environment and how our communities have changed over time, there's a tendency for, for adolescents and younger kids to be very entitled. And, um, you know, I think if we go back to a good couple of years, many of the listeners that's maybe a little bit older will also remember that there was a certain structure where um, dad would, would, would go to work and he would um, spend time at work and earn, earn the income and mom would be at home and she'd be the caregiver and she would be the nurturer. But society has pushed us into positions whereby the cost of living and things are just um, out of the, you know, out of the park. So people um, and communities aren't in a position to, to live in that sort of um, way anymore. So, so you've got moms working, you've got dads working, both needs to earn an income to keep the pot boiling and to keep the kids in some proper schools and all of that kind of stuff. And then what happens is that um, children get um, taught very often that, and not directly, but very often indirectly by means of the behavior, that they can get whatever they want and that they, mm-hmm. everything has to happen immediately. So there's definitely the sense of gratification, urgent, um, not urgent, um, in, um, immediate gratification within the younger communities where, um, you know, people are brought up to say that if I want to have information, I can get it now. I don't have to go to the library. I don't have to find the book. I don't have to search through books and books and encyclopedias to find the answer for my, for my um, project. I can just Google it, one click of a button, and I've got the answers. But whatever I need, mm-hmm. I get it immediately. And I think sometimes it also happens that parents, because of the fact that they're all working so hard to earn a decent living for their children and to keep the standards up, they often are not available. So they, they then also overcompensate by if the child asks, the child gets because there's a bit of a guilt situation whereby I'm not always available for this child. So if my child needs this, I need to give that to the child. And I think that um, that is one of the key things that, that, that's happening in our communities that potentially could really contribute to this kind of behavior being seen mm. as normal that you it's okay you will always have the best clothes because i will always go out of my way to buy it for you and you will always look better than the other kids at school when it's casual day or i will always make sure if you want the, the most recent playstation i'll find it for you if you want this if you want that and also you mentioned it earlier that with all of this sense of instant gratification 
there comes this part where um, the younger individuals no longer learn how to sit with discomfort. Whereas, you know, and sometimes the only way through discomfort, the only way to deal with discomfort is to go through it. <laughs> but I think we want to make it better for the kids. They shouldn't be uncomfortable. They shouldn't have to struggle to get information. They shouldn't struggle with a school project. Everything must just be okay for them. And I think it's also an inherent quality of a parent to have the best interest of your child at heart. But um, that those kind of things can, um, over a period of time, actually create this idea for a young child that I am, um, I am superior. I always get what I want. I'm always right. You know, another problem that, that um, and you as this uh, educator would very much attest to this, is that people mm. would, um, parents no longer allow kids to sort out their own stuff at school. Whereas mm. the teacher dares say something to the child, the next day the parents are at the school and they've seen the principal and the teacher gets suspended or, you know, um, mm. where kids also learn that I don't have to take accountability. So I didn't do my homework. The teacher wanted to, um, you know, told me in front of the whole class that I should have done my homework. I'm going to go to my parents. My parents are just going to sort this teacher out. So. There's no lack of accountability in terms of my actions because everything needs to be okay for me. And those kind of things, um, although the intent very often of the parent is protective and to have the best interest of their child at all, um, it actually can cause these kind of behaviors to um, um, to be more prevalent because it's seen by younger children to be an acceptable practice. There'll always be someone to bail me out. I don't have to I don't have to do my homework because mom's gonna tell the teacher that she's got no right to speak to me like that. Or he he's got no Definitely. right to say this and that to me. So I think that complicates things for the for the um school for the teachers as well. But I think in the bigger community it actually contributes to this grandiose sense of self this need for instant gratification, lack of respect for the boundaries of others, lack of empathy for others, because um, I think the society has just changed. And it's, 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 it's actually quite sad, but it is also something that, that perhaps by, by things, doing things like this, having a discussion about it, to create a little bit more of awareness what impact this has on a long run. It's not just a now situation. Mm-hmm. It often has a longer-term impact. Most definitely. And, you know, I'm going to state a fact now and this is a medically proven fact accepted globally so there are listeners that may be offended by what i'm saying right now remember the 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 show is aimed to educate empower and remediate um i'm going to say if the shoe fits by one in every size nine out of ten times one of the parents has narcissistic behavior disorder without even acknowledging it and unintentionally projects it on the child or children by creating these very dangerous divisions. And these divisions are, amongst their own children, the golden child, the black sheep child, the spoiled brat child, the child with the victim mentality, the chronic taker child who has delusions of grandeur, the chronic giver child, and also... The child who constantly plays victim and blames everybody for whatever he or she doesn't get, but does not take responsibility. There's the other child that only knows what he or her is entitled to or her rights or his rights, but accepts no responsibility. And all of these contribute to poor parenting. 
Because a child doesn't know better. A teenager knows what he or she is doing. But if a child under the age of six displays any of this, where does it come from? Obviously, it comes from the immediate environment. And again, like I said, nine out of ten times, one of the parents is disp- is basically a narcissist. The other thing also, um, a, na- a person with narcissistic behavior disorder may marry a person with the same disorder and they don't even know it. Then that child is not in for a very bright future because this poor child is not going to know any better. So, you know, in our show, we, unfortunately, we won't be able to do full justice to this topic this week. And we will be continuing with this topic, not next week, the week after. But if you can maybe briefly talk about these divisions that parents create. Hmm. So very rarely in the future will there be harmony and unity amongst these siblings. Because from young, they were already excluded and made to feel inadequate or overly um, praised when they actually have achieved absolutely nothing. So it's also a projection of what the parent didn't receive in his or her childhood. And now they're sort of grooming a particular child to be who he or she um, felt that they are. Hmm. Can you please elaborate further? So firstly, I think we... um we must just acknowledge that parenting is a very tough job. <laughs> and um, oh, there's such a lot of things that can go wrong. And the, the unknowingly or knowingly, sometimes parents can do more harm than good. So first of all, just a bit of credit to all the parents out there. Parenting is a tough, tough, tough story. <laughs> but, um, you know, you mentioned that um, where does these things sometimes originate within the, within the, within the younger children? Um, one thing that we must remember that um, the, 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 the development of the brain takes um, a good couple of years for all the different parts of the brain that regulate emotion and emotional regulation and judgment and all of those things only really, really develop um, from the age of 20 upwards and they, it's disputable from which age people actually reach reach proper maturity in terms of their brain development, but it is usually not at the age of 15 or 16. So, um, and and from that element, we must just acknowledge that um, children and young adolescents do not, they just biologically do not have the capacity to process the world in the same way that a 29-year-old, 32-year-old, 40-year-old does. And we need to be aware of the fact that that kind of um, um, reactions and and things that we often see within adolescents specifically um, is part of the development process. So not every adolescent that presents with certain things will develop into be an to do to have a personality disorder. But I think the one thing that definitely plays a part is that um, there is um, research that shows that there is a genetic component in terms of um, narcissistic personality disorder. But often there is also um, a situation of observational learning. So where parents, perhaps, as you mentioned, have a habit of over-exaggerating mm-hmm. their own achievements, over-exaggerating their own, own important importance, have a tendency to manipulate others. The young children and adolescents then um, actually learn these behaviors through observational learning. 
Um, but there's also a, a bit of a, a sad side to these kind of disorders um, or the de- development of these disorders or these traits is that um, uh, children may often be um, in, a, in a position whereby they actually suffer emotional neglect and yes. um, or some level of abandonment where this then becomes a manner of them um, coping with the circumstances. It's also sometimes observed um, as the clinicians advised that where a parent um, is absent um, and whether not it is because they have a high-flying career and they're never at home or perhaps the parent themselves suffers from a mental illness and is not emotionally available to their child, um, that can impact the, the development of the child and the behavior of the child that then presents for certain traits of narcissism because parents mm. will often in those cases overcompensate for their lack of availability. Um, and then that, that feeds into that whole process of feeling more important. I deserve everything in life. Everything needs to come to me. I don't need to work for what I get. Everybody needs to give what I need. Um, and at the same time, another um, scary part is the very critical parent. That the behavior from a parent that tends to be very, very critical. Um, and specifically, let's say if there's a family with more than one sibling, but there's one specific sibling that the parents are very critical about. Their achievements are never good enough. They've got to always do better, always achieve more, always be better than the next child. Those are all things that then then play into that. Um, But I think important from that perspective um, to your point around sometimes the parents themselves have a, a problem that needs to be addressed. And I think that is very important because as adults, we need to take the responsibility. We can't expect a 12-year-old child to take responsibility for their actions in full and to stop doing this and just be better. I think it's always important that parents go back and say, where do I fit into this? Am I playing any part in this? And um, to your earlier point, there is help available. Um, Mm. And a, a, a proper a therapy program with a clinical psychologist can do wonders for us as adults to become more self-aware of our behavior, to understand how our behavior impacts others, and in this specific point of discussion, how that behavior impacts um, younger children and Your their development. Children. Yes, yes. You know, Fanny, I think, like I said, we need to get into this in more detail, which we will do two weeks from today. Um, thankfully, you are available. May God bless you for your efforts. But, you know, before we round up, there's a very another um very another that doesn't make sense a very important point that i need to highlight and i would like for you to elaborate further that when a parent has issues when they were young that has not been addressed that parent is this hurt child who grows up into an adult's body but psychologically is still a little hurt or disappointed or neglected child. And unfortunately, a parent in that situation is going to bring up his or her children knowing no. fully that they have you know, needs that have not have been met emotionally. And that makes it like a circle. It makes it like a chain of events. Like a, I won't say a chain of events. It's like history repeating itself, mm. which we don't want. Mm. 
Yeah, and so, I think that that's, that's where, where, where individual therapy is so, so important. Once you realize within yourself that perhaps, you know, there's some unprocessed um, trauma or some unprocessed childhood neglect or whatever the case is, to actually get the appropriate assistance because not only are you doing yourself um, the best justice to do that, but also those around you, those ones that are closest to you, be it your spouse, be it your parents, be it your siblings, and then also in the event of a parent, it also does so much justice to the children that is in that relationship. Whereas um, mm-hmm. to become more self-aware, and, and I think that you said um, that you know it becomes a vicious circle, and it, it has the mm-hmm. potential to become a vicious circle. But as individuals, we have the capacity to stop that circle and to stop that circle of bad behavior or um, um, traumatic behavior. We have, we have the power to go and seek assistance for that. And that is, I think, the wonder of where we find ourselves as a society, whereas mental health no longer is something that just gets shoved under the carpet that you don't hear mm-hmm. or people get locked up in asylums for four years and nobody knows where they are. We've moved away mm-hmm. from that. And I think we need to also be so appreciative of the fact that we're now in a society where we can seek help and that we can, mm-hmm. in seeking help, make a difference. You know, Fanny, it's very good that you brought it up because that was going to be my, my next question, that the stigma attached to mental health basically came from the media and i'm not blaming social media because this was there from the beginning of time it was in movies it was on tv programs it was in discussions oh you're a nutcase oh go to the nut house you need to be locked up in an asylum oh you are a psycho all of those things were basically created for your for entertainment uh, while we listened to it um, I mean, those of us that grew up, you know, in the 70s, uh, we listened to it, we watched it on, 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 you know, on TV programs or maybe heard about it um, in the movies. The people that came up with these ideas of stereotyping and creating segregation were laughing all the way to the bank. Mm. Yeah, and I think so you could just elaborate on that because these were absolutely. all just labels. Mm. You said it in, in your introduction as well, that we must never forget that psychiatry is not a far-out, eerie-fairy something or a strange thing somewhere. It's a discipline of medicine, which means that it, it's scientifically based, it is scientifically researched. And I think that's the key change for us, to not think about things... You know, we all know um, things like uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and all those old movies, especially yeah. those grew up growing up in the 70s will remember those things. Um, and um, we must, I think that as a, as a community, we must start using the correct language to say that mental illness yeah. is a discipline of medicine. And that's why I always say it's so important, you know, that we must remember that a psychiatrist as a starting point is firstly a medical doctor who then studies um, further as a specialist, the same as you would have with your cardiologist or your neurologist or whoever. And I think that once we have that mind shift, it changes things for us as individuals and also for communities where we realize that mental illness is uh, is a medical discipline that can be managed in the same way with the same amount of respect and the same amount of... um, uh, 
lack of reluctance. We should not yes. be reluctant yes. to seek assistance yes. because we acknowledge it as a medical a, a, a medical discipline. That that changes, I think, our perspective quite radically. Definitely. And just to add on to that point, you know, on, on TV programs and in movies, they would refer to a psychiatrist as a shrink, uh, a, a psychiatric hospital as a nut house or a mental asylum, and also... Um, you need therapy, and often the people who use that terminology are actually the ones that really need the help. Hmm. So just a point for people to think about. Fanny, it's always a pleasure having you on air with us. You're on News Talk on Radio Islam International. May the Almighty reward you and the phenomenal team that you work with and you lead in abundance for looking after the mental health of everyone who has the ability and you know has realized that they need help may god bless you all and i look forward to having you back on air with me in exactly two weeks from today where we will be continuing with this topic are you raising a narcissistic child god bless you thank you very much thanks very much my pleasure so our beloved listeners may the almighty grant ease to every parent may the almighty accept your efforts may the almighty Bless you with the ability to bring up your children in the best possible way by following Quran, Hadith, and Sunnah as much as possible. May I accept everybody's efforts on behalf of myself and my sound engineer, Yazdan Khan. We pray that you have a beautiful week ahead. It is Shaban. Please remember us in your duas and all of the family at Radio Islam International as you are in ours. Until we speak again, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.